Hello, my name is Daniel Fernandes and this is Connected, the podcast of Nova Economics Club. Today's guest is João César das Neves, a full professor of economics at Católica Lisbon. He took part of Economia Viva, or Cycle of Debates, where he discussed with Pedro César Vieira, Miguel Faria Castro and João Amador about the Portuguese EU presidency and the European Recovery Plan. If you want to listen to the full debate, just check the Facebook page of Economia Viva. Also, don't forget to follow Nova Economics Club on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and to subscribe our YouTube channel. On this episode, we will continue the discussion of the European Recovery Plan with João César das Neves. During the sovereign debt crisis, when Eurozone members were facing critical problems in refinancing their debts, Germany reluctantly agreed on pooled assistance, but insisted on loans, rejecting common debt through Eurobonds. However, in May 2020, Chancellor Merkel and President Macron launched a Franco-German coup. Their plan foresaw the European Commission raising 500 billion euros to allocate as grants to the regions hardest hit by the pandemic. This unexpected move led Bonds to declare that the budgetary taboo of common debt has been overcome, in the EU and in Germany. In fact, it led the way to the next generation EU program, which is a 750 billion euro temporary recovery instrument to help repair the immediate economic and social damage brought about by the coronavirus pandemic. To finance it, the European Commission, on behalf of the European Union, will borrow on the markets at more favorable rates than many member states could and redistribute the amounts. Financing the next generation EU program with the largest issuers at the supranational level could set a precedent to a permanent European Union debt, uh, overcoming the budgetary taboo. Will this be an isolated occasion to tackle such an expected event as the COVID-19 pandemic that required a more agile response? Or could this represent a milestone moment for the European Union bloc to strengthen the integration process? Well, I think that both things will happen. On the one hand, uh, it is something completely out of order, a pandemic that nobody was expecting. And this is the justification for this program. But the point is that we did it once. So next time there'll be people invoking that this whatever happens is a new emergency and we'll have the need for a similar program. So I would say that the countries that are more parsimonious, they will say it was once in a lifetime, it will never happen again. On the other hand, the other countries will say, well, this new situation, whatever it is, is very similar to the COVID-19. We have to have a similar program. So, yeah, both things will happen. And it will be a new discussion. And, uh, of course, the, the, the precedent is there. There is no way to ignore that. On the other hand, don't count on it being easily invoked because it is very different from other situations. And it was under the idea that it was one-of-a-kind shock that justified this presentation. The Recovery and Resilience Facility, or RRF for short, constitutes the core of Next Generation EU. The entire loan portfolio and 80% of the grants will be assigned to the RRF. 
the purpose of which is to support investment and reform in many member states to pave the way for a sustainable, resilient recovery while promoting the Union's green and digital priorities. The Portuguese Recovery and Resilience Plan has three great dimensions – resilience, climate transition and digitalization. Under the resilience dimension, the plan focuses on health, housing conditions, qualifications, culture and social affairs. Under the climate transition dimension, it aims at decarbonization, energetic efficiency, hydrogen and renewable energy, and sustainable mobility. Finally, under the digitalization dimension, it concentrates on the digitalization of public administration, stimulating digital entrepreneurship, and digital transition of the Portuguese business framework. Concerning the Portuguese recovery and resilience plan, it concentrates mainly on resilience, climate transition, and digitalization. Nevertheless, each of these dimensions touches on various matters, such as the national, national healthcare system, uh, social affairs, and decarbonization. Uh, do you believe that this plan can be too ambitious in the sense that it involves uh, large public investment in many societal dimensions? Or do you regard the plan as diverse and balanced as it is required for Portugal to become more competitive in the following decades? Well, I'm sorry to say this, but I think this program is not very well determined to have competitiveness or productivity growth. I think that it was devised to satisfy lots of clientels, lots of groups, lots of interests. And that is why it's so diverse. It's centered most in building construction. Uh, almost 40% of the money is to construction, even if you look carefully under things that are very different from construction, you find that the money is going to spend in new installations, new buildings, new stuff, or in the public sector. Uh, more than half of the money is construction and public sector. And I don't think either of these things will promote competitiveness, technological change, any of that. So, and now I'm sorry, I, I'm, I don't agree that this program is going to be very influential. I think it's also necessary to say that one thing is what is written, a very different thing is where the money is going to be spent. Because this was something that we prepared in a rush on a few weeks just to present and be the first to present something in Brussels. And I don't really think that this is something that will have as much impact as it looks. So when the money comes, then we'll see in what the money is going to be spent. But what is written, I think it's very, very bad. Until now, the main criticism is that national governments that urgently need to step up efforts to ensure European Union money uh, that is not spent on useless programs that don't advance key policy goals. Which do you think are the most important structural investments that can help restarting the economy and avoid losing any resources? Well, I think that uh, we need some investments on, on infrastructure and in, in digital infrastructure, for instance. But uh, that's not the main element. The main element is being done by companies. It is companies that start the economy. It's companies that actually create development and growth. We had lots of supports coming from the state in the last 20 years 
and always had a mediocre growth. For 20 years now, even a little more, we are having a very low uh, growth rate uh, that people seem to be happy with, but it's really not something that changes the economy. You know that the world economy is under a terrible change. And lots of new ideas, robots and artificial intelligence, all of that. And these things, nobody knows where they are leading. So we need to be prepared with flexibility to adjust to the new economy that is rising. I would say that what we have here is the traditional type of use of structural funds. We have been doing it for, well, decades now, since we entered the EU in 86. We know how to do that. It was supposed to be something different today. Here, what we have is a new kind of program, but we answered the traditional way of spending and construction and giving it to, 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 the, to the public sector. I even think uh, one of the most remarkable elements is the fact that the small share that it's there for technological change and, and investment, which is very small, it's around three, four percent of the whole money. Half of it is for creating of a new public bank, which I think is remarkable. Why do we need a new public bank? What does it mean? Where does money go? Nobody knows. So we, we even have the, 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 the doll to actually create a new institution like that. Supposedly, it's going to be great for development, but we know what the public banks have been doing traditionally in Portugal. It will be something similar now. And do you think that this problem, this lack of focus on, on technology, is it a, a Portuguese-specific problem or an European-specific problem? No, I think that the European problem, the, the European plan has many problems, but that's not one of them. It was our choice. There were freedom which is normal in, inside the European Union, freedom for each government to determine where the money is going to be spent. And we decided to do something very quick, of a very actually with a small one person, hire one person to make the general plan and then uh, create a small team, be very quick to present something because speed was the essence, I don't know why, and we did it in our way. There are other countries that did it very differently from us. So there's nothing here to blame in Europe. There are other aspects, I think, that Europe is to blame, but not in our choices. We made it with open eyes, and we seem to be very proud of something that I don't really think is going to create any growth, any decent growth. Between the four biggest European countries, the subcomponents of the plans also vary. The German plan includes little funding for non-climate and non-digital related policy areas, possibly because Germany is expected to receive the lowest amount in euros. The plan for the other three countries, Italy, France and Spain, are much more diversified and include policy priorities such as social inclusion, education, research, health and even culture and sports in the case of Spain. The plans for spending the European recovery funds uh, submitted by the four largest EU countries reflect rather different priorities. Do you think that the fact that this heterogeneity between European countries can be an advantage uh, in terms of, of country-specific spe specialization, or is it something that makes uh, Europe weaker? 
Well, I think that the rule here is subsidiarity. That is the rule of Europe. Europe is there to create something that everybody needs, but not determine in what is going to spend. So the European Union had to respect the choices of each of the countries, and it did it. Did it. Of course, there is something to be approved, so the European Union has to approve the programs. It cannot uh, just uh, accept what comes from the countries, but the different of approach depends on, on the countries. And it's in, actually, I think it's impossible to think that the European Union would impose something uh, for uniformity between countries when actually the shock has been so diverse, the situations of the several economies are so different, and they are the path that they are preparing for their future is their own path, not, not the common path. So, yeah, I think that it was a good approach to leave at each country to prepare and to present their proposals. That is what the European Union should be doing, and it did. And in that, I don't think that there is any criticism to be done to the European Union. For final question, uh, the execution of the recovery and resolution plan comes more than one year after the beginning of the, of the pandemic-related restrictions to economic activity. Uh, do you think that the plan is timely, given the vaccination process, and given the European economy is in, is it, is in its reopening phase? Or do you think that the, the, do you think part of the program's funds should have been used even earlier in the pandemic in order to alleviate poverty more effectively? Should Europe, should Europe have acted sooner? Well, I think that this is the greatest criticism to be done to Europe. Europe had a huge problem. It's called a pandemic. It's called the biggest crisis that anybody alive remembers. So the pandemic is an health issue, but related to it, there, is a, there was a huge fall in production, a great problem in the economy that we never saw. And Europe about this did almost nothing. What, what the Euro European Union decided was to create something structural about the future. It even called fund next generation. So what this program means is we are preparing for the future which is a great idea, except when the house is on fire. If we have a huge problem at the moment, it's not the time to think about the future. It's the time to think about now. And about the issue we have in hand, the crisis of the pandemic, Europe did almost nothing. What it did was to present a pot of money that will arrive too late. There's nothing to do, nothing to do with recovery. It is about structural issues. It even more erroneous the fact that the two main lines that the European Union chose to put in the plan are two things that not only were not affected negatively by the pandemics, were actually helped by the pandemics. I'm talking about decarbonization and digitalization. These are two things that actually were better because of the pandemic, because as we were closed at home, we didn't do any pollution. And because we we're close at home, we had to digitalize very quickly, like we are doing now with this podcast. So what is remarkable is that it's, it's like nothing had happened. And it was a great political coup, because politically, European Union 
which was actually damaged by Brexit and some other problems, all of a sudden with this plan took initiative, left the political para uh, defined the lines, but it was not uh, uh, an approach to solve the issue at hand, the problem we had with the pandemic, it was completely different, something else, okay? And I think that's irresponsible. So the plan has nothing to do with recovery. It has to do with the future. And it's very clear, if you read the Portuguese plan, it has to do with structural issues, like it should. That is an imposition from the European Union. And I think it's a wrong imposition. It's great to talk about the future, except when we are dealing with a big present problem. Okay, thank you so much, Professor. Your views were very informative. It was a pleasure. Join us next episode. Follow Nova Economics Club on Instagram. Follow the podcast Connected on Spotify. And subscribe our YouTube channel, Nova Economics Club. Stay connected. <laughs>